Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Our first passage is from Genesis chapter 47, beginning in verse 29. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. And then moving over into Genesis chapter 50. Regarding the death of Joseph in verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. For the New Testament reading, we'll be moving over to chapter 11 of Hebrews. The famous chapter on faith, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus and the Israelites, the exodus of the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As much as I love the privilege of shepherding, Father, you know the stewardship of the preached word 
It's been my delight for many years and remains so. Who is competent for such a thing? You make a servant competent through your spirit's strength and help. So, one of two remaining times here, I ask you again, make me competent. For your honor's sake, and for these, your people's sake, bought with precious blood. In Christ's name, amen. I mentioned last week that Jan and I recently saw Won't You Be My Neighbor, a well-crafted documentary about Mr. Rogers, the beloved PBS host, creator, all those years of that show for children. Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. He died of stomach cancer, only 74 years of age in 2003. The end of the film, his wife, who remains alive and lives in Pennsylvania, mentioned that how he spoke to her of a desire to die well. And I, if I, I will quote, she said, with his hopes intact. So we come to a final message in Genesis today. We find featured first Jacob and then Joseph at death's door. Read these chapters. They're passing the burials. Take center stage. They are the heart of the text. They died well. Their hopes, one in particular, remained intact. This is my aim for you and for me. As much as you may not want to think about it, it's a good thing from time to time to acknowledge that life's a vapor, you will arrive at an end unless Jesus returns in your lifetime. Will you die well? I, I want to die well. That should matter to you. Remember where we've come from. 
recently in Genesis, Joseph now serves as Pharaoh's second-in-command. Famine in the land affecting Canaan has forced Joseph's brothers to come looking for food. Now, they long ago sold him into slavery. And a series of journeys back and forth from Canaan to Egypt with a variety of plot twists and turns, end up Joseph revealing himself and being reconciled to his brothers. And at the end of chapter 46, Jacob, blessing bearer number three, finally arrives in Egypt, and he and Joseph enjoy a tear-filled reunion only imagine. Blessings bearer, chosen mediator of the redemptive plan. Remember as we finish Genesis, the long arc of the book, chapters 1 and 2, creation. God saw that it was good. Chapter 3 and following, the fall. Adam and the sin, the flood, Babel, brokenness envelops a world in which we still suffer pain and loss. But oh, oh, for chapter 12 and beyond, right here to 50, God, behold, our redemptive God, I have a plan. an offspring of the woman in the fullness of time. And it will begin with a pagan out of her of Chaldees, Abraham. Leave your home and go to a land I will show you and embrace my promises. Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, blessings bearer. Number three, all banking on hopes and promises, especially of the seed of the woman, the saving offspring, Messiah. He has now come with his family, 70 strong, to dwell as an exile in Egypt. The chapters here present some extraordinary interpretive difficulties, um, chapter 49 in particular. But here's where, after Digging in, I've, I've landed as a main idea to tie it together. Because of all God is for us in Jesus, that saving offspring, that chapter 3, 15, and 12, 2 and 3 point to, we can wait patiently on him to keep his promises of presence and land. Among God's precious promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, two stand out here at the finish line. Presence, I will go with you. And land, I will give you a home. The last paragraph 
of chapter 46 to the end of chapter 47 focus on the first promise. I'll be with you wherever you go. The promise of a homeland in Canaan, which has resurfaced time and time again in our journey through Genesis, occurring first back in chapter 12, 7, that promise is the feature of chapters 48 to the end. Presence, land. We can have confidence, dear ones, in these things. These are great promises. You may be thinking, well, PC, I, I think I, I get the presence. God's going with me, being with me. What am I to make of land? I'll make application to that before we done. We can have confidence in these things because of all that God is for us in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes, their amen in him. No Jesus, no promises. All of them find their yes and amen in him. Now we need look no further than Genesis 48, 15 to 16, for the nature of the God who is for us in Jesus. Notice there's a whole lot of blessing going on at the end of this book that should not surprise you if you've been on this journey with us. Blessing is a key word in Genesis. Notice how Jacob frames Joseph's blessing from his deathbed. And Jacob, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Remember how God introduced himself in those theophanies to Abraham and Isaac? El Shaddai. God Almighty. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd. Number two, God Almighty, shepherd, all my life long, David's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac fought, the God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the fame of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude, and in the midst of the earth. God Almighty, God my shepherd, the angel of the Lord. This is who we have for us in Jesus. Faithful covenant keeper of Jacob all his days. He has never failed to keep his promises, including presence and land. But this close to Genesis brings a threat to the latter promise of land. 
Everybody has moved. They're now in Egypt. Not a single member of the covenant line, God's chosen family line, is still in the land of promise. They're all gone. What's to become of that? Answer? Wait for it. Patiently. Do you understand this yet about God? He loves this word wait. I I really wish he didn't. I forget who told me. God's favorite colors are red and yellow. Stop caution. When the light turns green, step on the gas and go through because you don't know how long it will last. Wait patiently for the promise. I want to show you four evidences of patient waiting. When you bank on all that God is for you in Jesus, these things should show up to some degree. Evidence. How ever imperfectly, and nobody hits the bullseye all the time. And we should be banking on them right up to the finish line if we have our senses. One, let me give you the four, and then we'll talk about each of them. One, serving on mission. Two, living by faith. Three, acting with love. Four, dying in hope. A rubric, a framework, you can do some diagnostic today. One, serving on mission. Joseph is center stage from chapter 46, 28 through the end of 47. Oh my, God has shaped him into a brilliantly wise administrator. A servant of the welfare of others. He begins first with his own family. Handles Pharaoh very judiciously and delicately and navigates an arrangement that puts them in Goshen And they get even that and more because Pharaoh makes some of them heads of the royal stable and livestock, a significant position. And it is no insignificant factor in the text that they end up in Goshen because Goshen is on the fringe of that area closer to the promised land of Canaan. And there's a hint there, I'm not going to let you get that far away, though I'm going to make you wait. And because of the abhorrence, inherent abhorrence in Egyptians for shepherds, which the text references twice, happy to put you there, probably nothing more, I don't know, but maybe just, even as we'll find in the world today, a dislike for gypsy nomads of any kind. But 
That little detail ensures appropriate separation. It mitigates the risk of intermarriage, which we have seen as a threat throughout our journey. Now, in chapter 47, 13 to 26, Joseph turns his attention to a masterful stewardship of Egypt's needs through the remaining years of the famine, because eventually the money runs out that they've been paying for grain, the people. So he says, well, I'll accept livestock. But then things are so bad, the livestock runs out. Pony up your land and become tenant farmers for the fee of 20% of steel. The going rate in the day, 40%. And please understand, we look at this through our American slavery lenses and think exploitation. There's no exploitation going on here. The poor of the day, this is how things were handled. If you couldn't make it, how are you going to survive? This is how you did it. You became an indentured servant. You worked the land like a tenant farmer. And Joseph gave him a deal. No wonder they say this about him in Genesis 47:25. You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph's on mission. He's doing his vocation, what God has called him to do, an evidence of his trusting in all that God has for him and the promised Messiah. Jacob gets into the blessing serving act too. Look at Genesis 47, 7 through 10. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood before him, him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Really? This is the most powerful man on the planet. And this old guy with a staff coming in on a wagon enters the court. And he blesses him. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Watch this. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years, few and evil. Have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Few and evil have been the days of my life. We have watched much of that. A good bit of it self-inflicted. What a way to be at death's door and your characterization of life is few and evil. That notwithstanding, he blesses. 
ever feel like your days are few and evil, hard, unbearable? I hope not, but you, you may get to your 60s, your 70s. I, in my 60s, have thought, I blogged about RoboJaw and it coming to an end. There were days I felt like human evil are these days. That does, if that becomes your lot or is your lot now, you cannot if you are banking on all that God is for you in Jesus. You cannot punch a ticket that excuses you from being on mission. On blessing others. If this thing is operating in you of understanding of the promises of God, of his presence, and land, more on that, you're going to be on mission. So here's my challenge. It really personal. Some of you are old like me, or you're getting there. Some of you, God help you, are older than I am. Don't coast. Don't check out. And I especially want to charge you as your outgoing pastor to up your ante in the race and get after supporting this new man. I want you guys with gray hair or none to lead the way. I want you to show the younger ones how it's done. Serving on mission. Unique opportunity here with this transition to live that out. I pray we will. Second, living by faith. Of all the data we have on Jacob in Genesis, about half the book, (laughs) he gets one verse in Hebrews 11. One. That ought to get our attention. His outstanding act of faith in all his few and evil years of pilgrimage. Hebrews eleven twenty one, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. What's the big deal? All right, I mean, I want to be, I, I will... I envision a deathbed, hopefully with enough presence, with my surviving son and my grandchildren, my, my beloved wife, Jan, by my side, if it's my turn to go, that I would, I would, I would bless. I'd, I'd speak words of blessing to you. And my boy, Joel, wherever he is spiritually, and Devin and Lily and Aiden and Blaze and Olivia, I, I, what, but lots of guys, lots of grandpas have done that kind of thing. What makes this so special? We get the details in chapter 48. 
Jacob falls ill. His time is near. Joseph brings him his two sons of Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob rehearses God's promised blessings. And then, long story short, he adopts Joseph's boys. He takes them from him and brings them into his family to ensure that they will be a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in so doing, they supplant Reuben as firstborn because they get the double blessing of the inheritance. That's stunning enough, but that's not what this is talking about. Jacob proceeds to bless the boys, but in this not unfamiliar plot twist in Genesis, he does one of these. And the right hand that you think should go to Manasseh ends up over here on Ephraim's head, and the left hand ends up on Manasseh's head. The blessing's going to the younger. And Joseph protests, hey, Pop, it's a mistake. Let me have that hand back over here. And I, I, I love Genesis 48, 19. I know. My son, I know. Translate, I get this now. I don't know how you're feeling. Been there. I know, but I got this. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brothers shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. The grand reversal of Genesis. Younger over older. Convention gets overturned. Joseph has God neatly tucked away in a box. This is how you're going to work. I want the first point. But God will work this way. And Jacob now understands, having once swindled the blessing from his brother, he finally gets it after a life of discipline by the great I am. God's ways are not our ways, Joseph. He chooses whom he will choose. Is your God in a box? You've got your neat, comfortable understanding of how God works in your box? Or are you letting the text and Genesis, the sweep of Genesis, for here it is again. God defies convention and elects Elect chooses the younger over the older. Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. Perez, not Zerah. And now Ephraim, not Manasseh. And here's, here's how Jacob's walking by faith now. His vision is dimming, but not his insight. 
He's walking by faith with this blessing, reaching into the future for the continuing blessing by praying and believing God for it, not scheming and manipulating. He has been liberated from his ways. We do not preach sound doctrine of predestination, election, and reprobation for any other reason but that the whole sweep of the Bible teaches it. It's not just Romans 9. It's not just Ephesians 1. It's Genesis and the great blessing of expository preaching through a book of the Bible is you must take your box and check it at the door and say, I will not fashion God into the God I'm comfortable with. I will let him speak for himself. He chooses whom he will choose. Serving on mission living by faith because of all that God is for us in Jesus, we can wait patiently, acting on by faith with his promises, serving on mission, living by faith, third, acting with love. Jacob dies. Joseph's brothers fear. Genesis 50 15 to 21. Daddy's gone, boys. The jig's up. We're in trouble now. So they send their brother a letter. Please forgive your brothers. Chapter 50, 17. (laughs) Tim Keller translates it. Play nice. They even bow down to him as terrified servants. And Joseph weeps. All the years he's loved and cared for them in Egypt, they still don't get it. You gotta love his blessed are the peacemakers reply in chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, do not fear. Twice. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, spoke kindly to them. Someone has said that unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping someone else dies. Been hurt, wounded, betrayed, mired in resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness. You're drinking a poison, hoping whoever that was or is dies. You are only wreaking havoc on your own soul. And if ever a person had a justification to be a grudge-holding individual, it was Joseph. But he didn't. Don't fear. 
comforts them. How is this possible? How are you going to get beyond your resentment, your grudges, and your wounds? Two things at least. Stop playing God. Get off the throne. There's no room for you. Am I in the place of God? Yes, you meant it for harm and evil. God had another plan. That's number two. See the big picture. Paul says in Romans 12, 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Not your business. And trust God's sovereignty. He had a Romans 8, 28 confidence. God works all things together for good. Even the harm others inflict and the sin that comes to work havoc in our lives. If you refuse to judge and take the long, big view of God's plan, you can manifest a cheap, no record of wrongs kind of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. God is so much for us in Jesus. You can wait patiently for his promise of serving, living by faith, acting with love, and finally for dying in hope. This point could have taken the entire message. Oh my, Genesis 49 alone with its prophetic, poetic, one-of-a-kind blessing of patriarchs with its complexities could have been could have been the focus of multiple messages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force myself to look closely at Jacob's and Joseph's deaths as we end. And, and here's, here's another charge for every man in the room, particularly if you're the head of a household. But I'm aware that there are, there are women in the room who from, from twists of events and sins and all sorts of things are heads of the household. For any heads of the household... Want to die like this. Hopes intact. Strong in your faith. And here's where I'm going to tie in the presence of land. Got to look quickly one more time at the two Old Testament readings. First, Genesis 47 about Jacob. Time drew near. New name, Israel must die. He called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I'll do as you said. He said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Now, chapter 50. Joseph at death's door said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. Precursor to Exodus, book number two. 
Travel visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. By the way, after 430 years, wait patiently for the promise. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Both were adamant. Don't bury me here. Take my bones with you when God shows up. And Joseph led an entourage fit for a king to fulfill his father's dying wish in chapter 50, 4 to 14, prefiguring the Exodus after those 400 plus years passed, and Joseph's bones get taken up. Exodus 13, 19. Here's the deal. I'm making you work hard. I know. I know. Hang in there with me. Both died with their hopes intact of land, of the promise, Canaan. They didn't see it. That's what faith is all about. They never embraced God, the promise, but they held on to it to their Dying breath. Don't bury me in Egypt. Take up my bones. That's the essence of hope. How to die well, believing all that God is for us in Jesus. Now I know what you're thinking. How does this? How does this connect? The promise of a greater homeland. Matthew 8, 11, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. They were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And with that hope, God was not ashamed to be called their God at your deathbed. Do you want assurance that God's not ashamed of you? Hold to the promise of the heavenly homeland. Abraham's still waiting. Isaac's still waiting. Jacob's still waiting. Joseph's bones are still in the ground in the promised land of Canaan the picture, the shadow of the heavenly promised land. <laughs> Beloved Nancy is still waiting. Beloved Paul Hunt is still waiting in the ground. Beloved Rick is still waiting. All those who have gone home to their reward on my watch are still waiting. And you too, when you're finished, if again, Jesus does not come in your lifetime, we'll be in the ground awaiting for that great and glorious last trumpet to sound. And the dead in Christ shall be raised and meet souls to bodies. And that intermediate state where there's still a longing, Nancy still longs. She's not at her full reward because that body and soul aren't together, but she died in that hope. 
We are bound for a promised land. Thanks on all that God is for you in Jesus to get you home. In the meantime, serve on mission. Live by faith in the promises. Act with love. Church, don't ever stop being peacemakers. Dying. I mentioned last week, and I close with this. What a moment of pathos in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood when his wife also said, Fred asked me, am I a sheep? Am I, am I a sheep? There are paragon in the 20th century who loved children and gave himself to act with love. There are not many that match him in good works. Now, I don't know what the filmmaker's agenda is, and I don't know where Fred Rogers' heart was, but if he was banking on all those good things that he did for children and adults to watch, if he was banking on all of that to be enough, and if that's where his unbelief was rooted, he is much to be pitied because you can never do enough. The merit-making has been done by Jesus, his perfect track record. I so hope Fred Rogers was just dealing with the kinds of things that are a part of walking through a broken world and having a moment of, of, I mean, you can still believe in all that Jesus has done for you and wrestle with it by doing enough. That's why you have to keep coming back to the hope of the gospel. You want to die well, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's how to know you're a sheep. And that's how you have power to serve on mission, live by faith, act in love, and die in hope. Oh, gracious God. Help us all the more. Thank on all that you are for us in Jesus. And to wait patiently for your promises right up to the most important one, that heavenly homeland. In Jesus' name. Amen.